Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week it's episode 300. Episode 300, can you believe it? I really can't quite believe it. It wow. seems like a big number. It's it's a really big number. It's 300. It's a, it's a large number. Yeah, it's enough to hold off an invading army from the east. <laughs> if you could use podcasts to hold off an invading army from the east, then yes. sure, yeah. <laughs> Just, hey, imagining what that would Just imagining what that would look like. <laughs> anyway, so it's episode 300, and uh, because it is such an important number, we thought we'd talk about what indie travel is for us. Yeah, it's pretty strange, eh? I mean, we started this podcast in 2006, so we're coming up on both 10 years of full-time travel and 10 years of the indie travel podcast, and things have changed and evolved in our lives and in our understanding of what travel is and, and what this lifestyle is. Yeah, and also in the world of travel, I mean, there are more options these days. Uh, we've got a lot more communication opportunities. Things have definitely changed. Yeah, I mean, when we started uh, the podcast, Facebook was kind of limited to, well, I think it was just coming out of its universities only phase mm-hmm. and hitting the general public. And uh, and we certainly weren't on board you, with it. If you want to uh, date things by that, a lot has changed. Certainly, yeah. Well, before we get into the main talking points of the podcast, what have we been up to for the last couple of weeks? Well, it's been pretty busy and very social. Um, first of all, we had uh, your sister Anna and uh, her son Henry come and stay with us here in Alcalá de Henares. Yeah, I think we mentioned that in the last podcast because they, they were coming, they came, and they were here for six days, and then they went to London to visit my brother. And uh, on the day they came, on the day they left to go to London... Our friend Janine arrived, and then Janine was here, then Anna and Henry came back. We had a very full house in <laughs> yeah. a very small apartment for a couple of days. And then uh, we all headed to Portugal for a, for a trip, so that was pretty fun. Yeah, that was uh, really good. We hired a car here in Madrid and then headed out uh, to the west pretty much straight off and uh, came through the north of Portugal into the Douro Valley and the, the Port Wine region and into Porto for uh, an evening in a couple of days, and then uh, headed down to Coimbra. Yeah, and in fact, while we were in Coimbra, we walked up to the university, and just outside the university gates, there were a group of buskers. Uh, I think there were students singing, and we recorded a bit of audio, so here it is for you to listen to. That was pretty cool, eh? Oh, it was awesome. I couldn't believe it. We were walking up the steps towards the university and we just heard this sound start to fill our ears. And then we came out and there were maybe about 12 guys singing and playing and it was just quite amazing. Yeah, it was neat. And the view from the top of that hill, um, what was once uh, like a palace castle and was turned into the university, I think I remember reading sometime in the 1600s. I understood the sign right. My Portuguese isn't uh, quite up to scratch, but uh, I think it was deeded over to the university then. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's a very impressive building with uh, very nice views out over the valley and uh, and the river that it sits on. 
I found it really interesting traveling with Henry because Henry's my four-year-old nephew because he got really, really excited about things. So he was quite excited about these buskers and he really wanted to give some money to them. And so, you know, we gave him some coins and he went up and, you know, he's just so cute handing over the money. We also really enjoyed our time um, with him when we went to Madrid. We went to Retiro Park and we, uh, we rode boats on the lake and then afterwards Anna bought him a, a balloon which is still bobbing around in our lounge. Yeah, yeah, we have a Helium 747-400 sitting in the corner. He was so excited. But while we were in Retiro, we also saw some other buskers, which were a group of um, hula hoopers and acrobats, and it was amazing. We couldn't believe it, and we recorded a bit of audio from this as well, so we'll play this for you in a second. But uh, what you'll hear is an instrument I've never heard before. It seemed to be made of just tubes, like piping, that uh, they'd covered over with bits of skin and we're using as a kind of interesting, interesting percussion instrument. Yeah, and being hit with mallets and or cupped hands. It was it was something. It was special. So it was something else. Yes. Have a listen. So from uh, from Coimbra to Retiro Park in Madrid. Um, after well, you said before that uh, our ears filled with the sound of music. <laughs> At the moment, my ears are absolutely full of uh, sand and seawater, <laughs> and uh, my head feels like it sloshes when I move too much. After we finished up in Coimbra, uh, Janine and I headed down to Peniche, which is uh, like a peninsula. And we stayed in a town called Belil where we did a five-day surf camp. And I say that we did a five-day surf camp, not that we did five days of surfing, <laughs> because I uh, realized the, the the hard way that surfing is not a sport that I'm naturally adept at. <laughs> uh, but it was heaps of fun, and we had a, a really good time down there. A lot of people were – the people that could surf were very impressed <laughs> with the uh, – <laughs> with the area and what it had to offer in terms of, of breaks and consistency. And so that was great. Um, but, yeah, maybe we'll talk about that in another show if we uh, have time to do one on Portugal. But it was great. So I just back uh, last night I flew in, and, yeah, we're here in Madrid for about two more weeks before we head off again. Yeah, it's it's getting towards the end. I mean, I've handed in my thesis. I've had my last university class. Yesterday I had lunch with some people from my, my master's who were also handing in their thesis. They had an extension. I didn't want to know anything about the extension because I just wanted to get it over with. But um, yeah, everything's kind of coming to an end here. I've got one, well, six more days of, of work and then we're moving on. The graduation is in eight days, I think, on a Tuesday. And that's it. That's it. I'm kind of excited about, you know, moving on and doing something different, but we've been here for 10 months. It's And El Clarenares is a really, really wonderful city. Yeah, that's the longest we've stayed anywhere since 2005. Yeah. Which is quite something. That is that is true, yeah. I mean, we've be, been back in New Zealand for a year at a time, but we weren't in Auckland for for 10 months. Yeah, yeah. We haven't uh, we haven't been in one in one house or even in one city for for that long. Wow, that's something to uh, think about as we kick off into a podcast that's a little bit uh, 
introverted, I guess, a little bit <laughs> introspective, uh, as we try and figure out what indie travel means. But it's not just us. We're talking to some other travellers and other bloggers and podcasters in this episode. And so, um, yeah, shall we kick off? Yeah, we've just got a few points to talk about. I mean, what is indie travel? Indie travel could be anything, really. I, and I did some research online to find out what other people thought, and there were so many different answers. So I've, I've kind of summarized our opinion down into four four points. And we're really interested to hear if you agree with us or if you think we're totally wrong. But um, the first one, and I think the most important one, is that indie travel is a mindset, a way of thinking. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's everything you do comes from how you think about and process the world, right? So... Um, I guess it's more useful to think about what is that mindset that indie travel is. And for me, it's the desire to experience a destination, not just to see it. So I think that's the big, um, I don't know, dichotomy. That's the big turning point. Um, it doesn't really matter how that's done Mm. as long as you're engaging with the local environment, local people, local businesses, that's the the thing that kind of turns turns a, a trip or a holiday into... Um, An indie travel experience. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, I think when we first started, we thought of indie travel as anything that wasn't a tour or anything that didn't involve travel agents or just going to the beach and spending a week, week at the beach. But um, we've realized that Quite often, tours and travel agents offer services that really enhance our experience of a destination. I mean, we quite often book uh, flights through travel agents now because it just saves a lot of hassle and sometimes a lot of money. And um, we've found that tours are are now a really important part of our travel style. Back in the past, we didn't even like day tours. And now day tours we regard as kind of essential. Yeah, I think that the the market's evolved over the 10 years since we started as well, right? So Mm -hmm. now there's lots of... Uh, local businesses or collectives doing really immersive day tours, mm-hmm. whereas before that was not so done and you're likely to be in a, a big package experience of yeah. like 30 or 40 people. Mm-hmm. And now there are tours that are, yeah, that are catering for like 6 to 12. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel like you're, yeah, one, one in a herd. You feel like you're in a small group. Yeah. that's uh, traveling around and seeing things. And there's also and, so many different types of tours. Like I've read about running tours recently. I, I can't yeah. imagine doing one. But yes, you, you're in a small group and you run around the city. Or um, food tours where you learn to cook or tours where you're with um, uh, an expert on the on the destination, like a PhD educated person who'll tell you all about the history of the place where you are. You know, there's all sorts of really, really great things. That you, you just can't find out this information yourself. Yeah, and we've started using that as a nice way into a place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we're going to be staying somewhere for a few weeks or a month, that's a great way to, to jump in and begin to engage in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if we're just there for a couple of days, it sets us up with an idea of uh, what special things we should be looking out for or new angles or new ways of looking at things inside the city. And also what the, the people who organise the tours regard as the important things to see. Like when we came to Alcalá de the, the very first day we did a tour, and it was so great just to get an idea of what there was and to see the most important things like the Coral de Comedias, which is a really, really old theatre that we probably wouldn't have gone into by ourselves, but with the tour we had access. And it was, it was amazing. 
Yeah, well, let's hear from uh, Deb from the planet D, uh, who's talking about what indie travel means to her. Hey, it's Deb of the Planet D without my better half, Dave. And I've been asked the question, what is indie travel? And indie travel to me is traveling on your own and being open to new experiences. If something comes up and it sounds like a great thing, like if there's a festival down the road that you just heard of, you can change your plans and head over there and try something new and be open to anything. Thanks, Deb. So if indie travel's a mindset, then the practical outcome of that is that indie travel is doing what you want to do, not what other people say you should do or think you should do or you feel obligated to do. Yes. Um, it's not about hitting the, the must-see, top-ten, tick-the-box highlights just because that's what people expect to talk about when you're back home again. Yeah, although you might do that. Yeah. It's entirely up to you. Maybe you do want to see the top ten or six of the top ten or one of the top ten, but it's you choosing. It's you deciding what you want to see. That's right. So, um, yeah, indie travels that, I don't know, not countercultural, not revolutionary, but just being aware of, of what you want from the destination mm-hmm. and also being open to what the destination is going to surprise you with. But it's doing what you want to do. Yeah, I agree. Um, while I was looking on, online to see what other people thought of indie travel as, um, I found the Indie Travel Manifesto, which is a website created by Boots and All and Rolf Potts, and it's exploring the idea of what indie travel is. So visitors to the site can vote ideas up or down, and the current most popular statement seems to be that indie travel is defining your values, exploring your beliefs, and crafting your own meaning for life. So letting travel change your life, and also letting your values shape your travel experience. Yeah, and this is where we've got a, a pushback against the tours that we just talked about right because Mm -hmm. often tours try and pack a lot into whatever amount of time they're given whatever the itinerary is because there's a feeling that that gives more value for money if you do more things um and so yeah it's kind of there's a push back against that when you're looking at seeing it your way and doing the things that you want instead of the things that other people want. That's right. But, I mean, you can find tours that are exactly what you want. For example, when we were in Morocco recently, we joined a tour. I think it was a two-night, three-day tour through the desert. And we were in Morocco for nine days, and we planned the tour for right in the middle. And it was great. It broke up our, our journey. It got us from place A to place B, which would have been difficult in and of itself. And it took us to places that would have been difficult for us to travel, travel to by ourselves. Yeah, in that case, I mean, to go through the desert, we'd have to either do a tour or hire a private driver and guide, which is not dissimilar, mm-hmm. or uh, we weren't able to rent vehicles to get out there, so we'd have to figure out buying a vehicle for the three days that we wanted to, to be out there. Yeah. So that worked really well and allowed us to do... Uh, some of the experiences that we wanted. Yeah. Similarly, when we were in South Australia, we were in Adelaide and we wanted to get to Alice Springs. And uh, there was a six-day tour that we could join. So we, we hopped on it and it was it was really great because not only did we get to see some things that we might not have chosen to see, but we got to see the outback. And we saw people traveling independently through the outback. And it just looked like a lot of work because you have to take so much safety equipment and backup stuff just just for your own safety, and I was not interested in that. 
Yeah, and the people that were doing that and had bought vehicles and, and outfitted them were going out for several months, mm. whereas we just had a week. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's about making, making that work for you. Well, let's hear from Tom and Megzi from the Travel Freedom Podcast to find out what they think about indie travel. This is Tomo. And I'm Megzi. From the Travel Freedom Podcast. What is indie travel for you? I think indie travel is getting that real-life, authentic experience. It's the actual difference of when previously people were staying in hostels and people were staying in hotels, it's actually going out there and staying with the people. It's getting into the homes, into the girls, you know, and getting that real, hands-on local experience. And you, Tom? Yeah, it's definitely about getting away from those sort of tourist experiences where it's just all dodgem cars and, and tacky hotels and sort of group tours. It's being independent. I think, as it, the word means, it's indie travel. That's what it means, independent travel. You really have to be doing it for yourself and not having someone tell you this is what you should experience. You should go, I want to find what I want to experience and I'm going to do it. Thanks for that, guys. So point number three is that indie travel is flexible and light. So by that I mean indie travel allows you to change your plans. You you might go to a destination and love it so much that you want to stay for a lot longer than you planned, or you might get there and decide that there are other places you'd prefer to see. That's definitely happened to us. Yeah, on both sides of that coin, mm-hmm. eh? Yeah. Um, I guess my problem is my addiction to the new. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, but that town is just like two hours away and we haven't been there yet, so let's go there too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On a recent I, trip, I, we I planned... Drag, I drag Ladura no, around no, the place it's sometimes. N- it's not just you, for sure. On a recent trip, we instituted a two-night minimum stay. And uh, we were hoping to stay three nights in most places. But then every time we had a four-night stay, we'd say, oh, we can divide that in two. <laughs> so we've learned that a three-night stay is probably the best plan for us because that means we will stay for three nights and get two full days in the destination. And four-night stays, well, they tend to get broken up. <laughs> they sure do. They sure do. Uh, but the point there is that indie travel means not being tied to an itinerary all the time. Sometimes it's necessary. You have connecting flights, you have people to meet, you have, you know, experiences mm-hmm. that only happen on certain days, uh, like festivals and things like that. But you're able to to pick up and move on or able to extend based on what you want to do. Yeah. And related to that, we think that packing light is quite important for indie travel. We we travel with just carry-on size bags because that increases our chance of being able to be flexible because we can just pack up and, and move on really easily. And also we value experiences over possessions. But a lot of indie travelers have more luggage than we do, partly because they have really big cameras and we don't. But uh, yeah, they and they also find having a full backpack or a big suitcase saves an amount of hassle because they don't have to keep going shopping and buying new clothes or, or new items or whatever. We had a really good conversation at TBX about what to do about shampoo because Craig and I usually just have a small shampoo bottle and then we buy a new one and fill up our little one and then move on. But some people don't like having just carry-on size bags because they really want to have full toiletries. And I can understand that. It's, it's nice to not have to go shopping for toiletries all the time. Yeah, but at the same time, it's... Uh... I don't know. To me, that's not a a very complex trade-off. I can have the one bag that I can easily carry on my back. So, you know, I can take it into a cafe or a restaurant as easily as I can 
hike it for 5Ks down the road if I need to. Mm-hmm. And that is really handy. Whereas, you know, if you're transitioning through a city, it can be a real pain having a suitcase or a large backpack and dragging that into a cafe and moving some tables out the way and finding a place to put it. Um, maybe I'm over-dramatizing it a bit, but I definitely find it easier to have one bag I can stick at my feet and uh, that just does the trick. Oh, I completely agree with you, obviously, but I know that other people don't agree with you and it's it's fair to represent their opinions as well because I don't think you have to have a tiny backpack to be an indie traveller. Yeah, and I think that's part of the thing. Indie travel isn't didactic. Mm-hmm. It's not yes or no. It's not straying into this horrible paradigm of are you a tourist or are you a traveller? Yeah. It's about doing your thing in a way that makes sense for you. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hear from Pete and Daylene from Hectic Travels. Uh, indie travel for us is being able to pick up and go whenever we need to. Uh, we ha- we're living nomadically. We uh, travel, travel the world for like six years now, and the, the I guess, the ability to, to go where we want, when we want, it's freeing. Yeah, we're not tied to a schedule, so we're very independent in that way. And uh, if we don't like a place, we can leave it the next day or we can stay for as long as we want. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Daylene. What else is indie travel? Well, indie travel is about immersion and experience. It's getting under the skin of a place, getting to know people rather than just seeing places. And it's definitely about trying the local food, local beers, local wines, and local spirits. (laughs) You don't have to to do all of those things. I mean, you can just choose the beer if you want, or, you know, coffee, or... I I don't think it's... I shake my head. (laughs) I mean, we can't talk. We just spent time in Portugal, and we did definitely try the local wines, the local beers, and the local spirits. (laughs) Yep, that that has to be said, but um, I don't think it's an essential part of indie travel. If you want to try those things, then for sure, but if you don't, well, that's your choice. As a result of this, uh, new organizations like Couchsurfing, um, companies like Airbnb, and other online exchanges. Like um, Homestay. We haven't tried Homestay yet, but yeah. I'd really like to get into it. Yeah, I was thinking Conversation Exchange mm. um, that we've used to find language partners, iTalkEye, yeah. um, some of these other language uh, exchange places are, are just great because yeah. they give you an opportunity to to meet someone who lives local who knows where good places to be are who's willing to have a chat and it opens up the door not only to finding the best place to go but it opens up the door to understanding a bit more about the the people and the culture that's right for sure we are always trying to experience a destination not just see the see the highlights and so being with a local person really really makes a difference Yeah, another way to do this is to try and learn a little bit of the language. Uh, Now, that's not always possible, depending on how many countries you're traveling through. Mm -hmm. But you can normally get, hello, goodbye, thank you, please. And where's the bathroom? Um, Where's the bathroom is always essential. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, just by learning a little bit like that, uh, you know, just those basic phrases, even if you can't string sentences together, Mm -hmm. um, it makes people feel a lot more uh, compassionate, a lot mm-hmm. more warm towards you, yeah. and uh, opens up doors that might not otherwise exist. I'll always remember when we were in the Czech Republic with my sister Anna and her husband Matt and Henry. Little Henry was only about two years old at the time. 
we went to um, the Gypsy Bar in Chesky Krumlov, and it was one of it's one of our favourite places to go. It's a real locals bar, and they do a spectacular goulash. We were being served by a rather grumpy server. He was older. We were tourists. We didn't speak much Czech. We could say hello, and that was that was about it. So we needed a, a bit of help with the menu, and he wasn't very he wasn't very happy about having to do it. And fair enough too. But then he came over with our drinks, and Henry piped up Jikui, which is thank you in Czech. And you could just see this guy kind of melt. And after that, he was really attentive, really keen to to help us out. It was amazing. Just this one word wouldn't have worked from us. But uh, from, from the lips of the two-year-old boy, it really made a big difference. Yeah, I mean, there's not always magic moments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes things are just normal. Sometimes things are just hard. Mm-hmm. And sometimes things are just great without there being a, a turning point like some movie. Yeah. But, uh, but in this case, there, there really was that uh, amazing turning point. That eh? was great. Hey, well, let's hear from uh, Chris Christensen uh, from the Amateur Traveller podcast. Chris is also a very long-time podcaster. I think he started off about six months to a year before us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, we've been in contact since the beginning, right? Yeah, we uh, love Chris. He's really good value. So here's his thoughts on what indie travel means to him. I'm Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler, and indie travel for me is getting off the bus, going to experience the local culture, and whether that means local transportation or meeting the locals, it's having a more connected experience. So we're almost at the end of episode 300. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to all of our guests, Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler, Pete and Daylene from Hectic Travels, Tom and Meg from... Uh, what are they called now? Travel Freedom Podcast. The Travel yeah. Freedom Podcast. They've just rebranded. Apologies, guys. And uh, Deb from the Planet D. It's been great having you all on. Yeah, thanks a lot. Come on, come again. <laughs> Before we finish up, though, we had an email over the last uh, few days from a listener of ours, Angelica. Now, Angelica, we've been in touch with since 2011, 2012, something Some like ago. that. Uh, she had just through hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, which is something I really want to do. It's on the west coast of the States, and uh, it just looks amazing. Uh, but she sent us an email to help us celebrate our 300th. And she wanted to say thank you for inspiring her last ad- adventure, which was the Camino de Santiago via the French Way. And it sounds like she had a really great time. She did it with her mother and her sister, and, uh, yeah, it was it was great because we're just about to start our new adventure on the Camino de Santiago as well. So it was really great to hear from her. So thanks a lot, Angelica, for sending your email. So what's coming up next? You just alluded to it. Go on. Okay, so our next adventure, we are going to be here for a week and a half, and then we're heading north to Ado to take part in a wine-throwing competition or festival. Or festival. Wine-throwing festival. Wine-throwing is strange enough without yeah. making it competitive. Well, I'm sure it's going to be competitive between you and me, my love. <laughs> uh, our friend Janine is, is with us at the moment, and uh, she really wanted to go to this, so we thought we would. And after that, we're heading to Oviedo to start the Camino Primitivo, which will be about two weeks. I'm not sure exactly how many kilometers. I think it's 320 approximately uh-huh. to get to Santiago de Compostela, after which we're attending a wedding back down this way in Toledo. And after that... We're not sure. We're still not sure. It's coming up really close. I think we've only got a month before we have to make some big decisions. Uh, we just haven't quite made them yet. 
Yeah, that's right. What we're looking at doing is spending a month each in two to three cities with a couple of days to a couple of weeks of travel in the middle. Mm -hmm. And uh, that'll take us through the rest of the European summer and towards the end of the year. So we'll uh, we'll get that far and then see what happens next. Mm -hmm. But I'm really excited about being... Uh, having the freedom to move again. Uh, It's been good being here. It's been good uh, you getting your master's, doing uh, 80 pages, 30,000 words of academic Spanish. High five. Well done. Um, And... But yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, to kicking off again and and hitting the road. Well, it's not like you haven't been hitting the road. I mean, where have you been in this year? You've been to Greece, you've been to Sri Lanka, you've been to Portugal, uh, you went to London... Uh, you went to the Baltics, all these places that you went to and I didn't go to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really good that we're going to be trolling together again. Absolutely. Nice. Uh, and what's up next for the podcast? We have two more Baltics episodes coming up. Mm-hmm. We'll do one on the Camino Primitivo. Uh, we'll almost certainly do one on the city, Alcalá de Henares. And a couple on Japan. Yeah, we've been uh, doing some interviews with some travellers and, uh, and residents in Japan. So... That will be great. So we've got lots of good stuff coming up. And uh, now that you've finished your thesis, you'll have time to edit it. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much, everyone. 300 is just feeling amazing. It's a little bit buzzy, a little bit unreal. Yeah, thanks heaps for being with us on this journey. And until next time, travel well.